Hey everybody, welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane's newest Patreon episode. I am thrilled to be joined by, I hope I can say my friend, Chuck Austin. <laughs> How are you, Chuck? How are you? I'm good. How are you? How is everything? I'm, I'm great. Life is life is busy. It is uh it is mid-November. I'm turning 44 in a couple of weeks. Life is life is uh <laughs> hitting the fall season, it feels like in more ways right. than one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nothing like a birthday to make you feel like it's the fall. <laughs> yeah, I usually don't really pay any attention to age or birthdays. This one feels monumental for some reason. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's because I have a teenage child now. I'm, oh. uh, I, I'm starting to feel my age a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Teenage, the teenagehood really does that. Yeah. College, when they go to college, boy, that hits hard. I'll tell you. Yeah, I talk to my mom all the time who's like her, her baby's 40 now. <laughs> She's like, oh, I don't know what's <laughs> happened to <in> my life. <laughs> How's your kid doing in college? Uh, he's doing good. He's adapting well. He's enjoying it quite a bit. Um, his schedule, they, you know, they, they talked him into making it light. So he's not overwhelmed and he's actually having a good time. That's phenomenal. Uh, yeah. We got to record together not too long ago and put right. your episode up. There has been tremendously positive reviews. Okay. I think the I think the interview, and then uh, Dayspring on Power of X Men also put your interview out. I think people are starting to see things in uh, in a different type of context. Hearing your voice and some of your plans for the characters and the directions things ended up going. Uh, I think it's giving people a little bit of new respect for uh, a run that they may not have visited in a while. Uh, it's been 20 oh, years. Uh, have you had any uh, feedback or or uh, or anything about the episode we put out? Uh, no, but I'm really, you know, I'm really disconnected from the uh, uh, comics industry. So I'm, I, I, it doesn't surprise me that I don't hear about <laughs> this anymore. Seriously, I haven't been in a comic shop in 15 years. So, oh, um, my goodness. Super I, weird. I, uh, I, I've got my little local shop that I go to once a week and, uh, I'm always happy to walk in. There's a certain energy in comic shops that makes me happy, but I don't spend a lot of time there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I understand. I used to feel that same way. Uh, I don't know what happened. I think, you know, I think the kid getting older sort of took it out of me a little bit. Um, he had interests that had nothing to do with comics and, uh, you know, when you, when you have a kid, you sort of adapt to their interests. It's like I got out of sports because the girls weren't interested in sports and then uh, got into video games because Kane was just diehard into video games. So sure. is your son named after Juggernaut? No, he's, it's, it's K-A-N-E. Uh, he's, <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's, I can say if it's specifically from anywhere, but it was a name that I always liked, like Solomon Kane and and uh gil kane you know it was that it, yeah yeah it's a it's a good solid name and it's yeah. not what a lot of people have which is nice that's what he likes about it it's unique it took him a while to kind of grow into it because he used to get a lot of teasing when he was a kid you know candy cane and you know people making fun of it and stuff but he's 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 grown to like it kids are cruel they really are we'll talk about some cruel kids in today's <laughs> oh yeah i'm sure we'll get there yeah we're talking about sammy it'll happen i I am so happy to have you back on. It is such an honor to have had you on in the first place, but your willingness to come back uh, shows me you had a good time and that makes me always yeah. feel great. I'm a, I keep taking this podcast in different directions and uh, things shake out. I just recorded an episode yesterday that ended up being about like the human brain and how telepathy works, if it were oh, cool. a real thing. It's, yeah. I, 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 uh, I'm an educated, uh, you know, man in my forties and I keep going, huh? Like <laughs> when I finish these recordings, it takes me in new directions every time. Um, our last episode uh, on the Patreon was about the character Wallflower, uh, which you probably do not recognize that character's name, uh, with Tristan Holmgren. No. 
who is ultimately a very tragic story. And we're going to record another uh, X-Men mutant student with a tragic story today. We're going to focus on uh, Mr. Sammy Pear or Squid Boy today. Uh, when I when I even mention that name, what are what are, do you do? You, do you get a nostalgia that shows up? Is this a character you're fond of? Uh, oh yeah, he was a character that I loved actually, and you know the the fact that we were going to kill him off was it got hard after a while and that's you know sometimes you know i'm just i'm a fan like everybody else after a while you start to think i don't want to kill him off i want to keep him around but the whole point was to get to cause that shift in juggernaut's personality so um that was always the original plan but um uh, but yeah no i i loved sammy you know he was he was he had that um that sense of being the outsider that is such an integral part of, of X-Men lore, you know, that, um, that you just, you empathize with them. And you really, even when I was writing his scenes, I was empathizing with him and I wanted to see him succeed. It's sort of weird. You become detached from it. It becomes, the character becomes apart from you after a while. And you start to look at it almost like a, uh, the character almost is like a, a separate entity and, and, uh, you know, you want somebody else to take him over and write him so that they don't kill him and that they give him better adventures <laughs> than you did. <laughs> so. We uh, we talked about Sammy a little bit in our uh, interview. You were talking about how you needed a character outsider to kind of introduce into the world of the X-Men. So it, it kind of shows the yeah. wonder of the X-Men from a new character's eyes. And this character specifically became... Uh, the sympathetic character to attach to Juggernaut. So we had a different view of this villainous character. And then ultimately the plan was to kill him off to give Juggernaut kind of a big arc overall. That's That was kind of the understanding I left with after our conversation. Would you agree with all the point, all those points? Would you like to expound on those? No, that was actually, that was absolutely correct. I mean, that's how I, how I looked at it. That's how Mike and I talked about it when we first got going. Um, the idea was that Sammy was, uh, it's what's called a viewpoint character where you're, you're introduced somebody that is new to the world so that they become the audience, the, uh, eyes for new readers. Um, and, uh, uh, so Sammy was that Annie was that, um, for, you know, like two separate parts or separate areas for the X-Men. And, uh, like when I was talking to Dayspring, we also talked about the fact that Annie was, a. I, I always felt like they needed a sort of a mother figure as well on the X-Men. So yeah, you, cr you create characters for a specific reason. Generally speaking, when you're writing a story, you're, um, you're building out everything within the plot or everything within the story is something that's going to drive the story forward. It's not, you're not, you're not just creating a bunch of characters that you want to see kind of how they play with each other. You, you generally create characters with a specific story arc in mind. And so Sammy was created for that specific story arc in mind. It makes me think of the, uh, I don't know, Spider-Man issue opening up with a girl getting attacked in the alley and everything's from her perspective and then Spider-Man swings down and you get to see that heroism from a different angle almost. Very uh, definitely. The X-Men was going through a huge, one of the biggest, I mean, top three franchise changes of all time around this time. You were writing Uncanny X-Men at the time that Grant Morrison came in to write New X-Men, which changed... The yeah. entire industry, the X-Men went public. The school was huge. We talked a little bit about your selection of the characters you wanted to feature last time. But what was it like working alongside uh, Morrison and these other creative teams? Uh, I mean, you're on the flagship book, but uh, but this, yeah. this is such a mighty shift. Uh, I, I would love to pick your brain a little bit about that era in 2002 in comics. Sure. Well, uh, what would you like to know? I mean, the main thing I guess I, I can say is that I... 
Grant started a little before I did. I think he and Joe Casey actually started about the yeah. same thing that kind of tying in with the movie uh, franchise launch. And so they were, they were looking to kind of gear things more in that movie direction a little bit to sell, uh, you know, the idea obviously being that the movie would be a blockbuster and it would bring fans into the comic shops and they would want to see something that reminded them of the movie as opposed to sort of the old version. So I know Grant had the, he, he had the joke in that first issue about, um, I think Wolverine makes a comment about the stupid costumes they used to wear or something. And um, they're all in black leather now. Yeah. Everybody's wearing black leather and um, it's, it's a completely different look and feel, but uh, that was intent intended to sort of tie it all in with the movies. So, uh, you know, and it's always, it's always, it's always hard being the third tier guy, you know, I mean, Grant is the big dog. And then I don't remember who the second writer was, but those two guys were, were big names and, and they took a chance on me because they liked the stuff that I was doing on War Machine. Um, and uh, and I was an older X-Men fan, so I tended to keep it sort of in that same vein that I was familiar with, that old Chris Claremont sort of feel. Uh, Chris would probably disagree that I was I was doing the Chris Claremont feel, but that's, that's what I was trying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you work closely with Grant? I did not. We didn't, we didn't even speak except for a couple of times at conventions when we sat next to each other. Interesting. I know they do a lot of like... Uh kind of x-men retreats in recent years where all the writers will sit down and they'll plan out the whole summer you know kind of a thing but you were very independent of all that then you were just on your book specifically yeah um but again it may have been because i came in late i don't know if they had a summit beforehand when we did superman um i went into work to we had a summit here in los angeles actually um with all the writers on the various superman books to talk about what our new direction was going to be but sure sure i didn't do anything like that on the x-men but like i said i came in later Fascinating. So you come in as a new creative team on Uncanny X-Men. Uh, number 410, I believe, was your first. It's a story arc called Hope. And yep. you're working with the incredible Ron Garney. Uh, tell me about yep. Ron. Ron's amazing. I, I love the guy. He was so fantastic to work with and so eager to um, to make the books the best that he possibly could. Um, and he wanted to ink his own stuff. But uh, at that point, he was... Uh, um, you know, I don't remember whether it was his idea or their idea that he's, you know, continued to be a penciler for a while. We, he got to ink his own stuff, I think, when we did Justice League together. But um, but when he was on X-Men, yeah, he was fantastic. I loved working with him. I associate Ron with uh, Silver Surfer, almost first and foremost in my mind. I know he's done a lot of stuff. Oh. But he's phenomenal. He's such a good artist. He's, and he's a great guy. I really like him personally. I love seeing him at conventions and stuff. Or I did when I was hanging out at conventions. Sure, sure. I hope to meet him someday. I think he's amazing. Uh, so Uncanny X-Men number 410, page one, we meet Sammy Pear or Squid Boy. He is your yeah. first character right up at the beginning. He's not one of the pretty mutants. He nope. is living in Vancouver, Canada. His mutation has made his skin tight and orange and rubbery. His nose has fallen off. His hair's grown up kind of fin-like and red peaks. Uh, his ears are pointed. His eyes are big black circles. Uh, he looks like a fish. and uh, He kind of looks like a Muppet to me. Like he looks like a character I want to turn into a hand puppet. <laughs> Just <laughs> like talk through. Tell me about your decision to make this character fish or squid-like. Uh, it's such a bold choice. We uh, we talked about it and, and uh, or at least I explained what my point of view was. The the belief was that I, we wanted someone who was completely alienated um, that, you know, he had a, he had a, a difficult family life. He had a father who was abusive mother who was distant. 
And then he had, he had no friendships because he had gone through this physical change and it was causing him to be either ostracized or, um, uh, or uh, outright bullied yeah. by other kids that he knew. Uh, the idea being that he not only did, you know, would he, was he excited when he saw the, you know, the uh, Xavier sh plane show up, but he needed it. He really needed it. We needed yeah. somebody who was going to come in and who this was really an important shift in his life and a, a positive shift. And that in a lot of ways that that starts to bring out that side of him uh, that is more who he really is as a person. He becomes more um, confident, more heroic. Um, he, he's the one who jumps into to try to help Juggernaut at the end. Yeah. Of that, uh, I think it's the second issue of the of that <clears throat> Yeah, and four eleven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and it was the so the idea was to make him as as outside and as ostracized as possible. Again, you know what you're doing is you're you're trying to service what the story is supposed to be, and and the story in this case was to show how important uh, Xavier's school was to these kids and how much it meant to them personally. So, I mean, yeah. in a storyline called Hope, yeah, yeah. Uh, did you design this character uh, or did Ron Garney or was it collaboration? The, 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 the fish orange skin, uh, you know, the, the peaked hair. He's, he, no one looks like this guy. He's, he's oh, a yeah. character. Uh, I, I think we talked about it a little bit. There was, this, I think there was a description in the script, but it was really Ron that ran with it. I mean, he gave him that fantastic look. He really made him even more fish-like, I think, than I was thinking. Um, which I thought was fantastic. I mean, I had no, I had no notes. I had no changes on the design when he, when he showed up in the, in my inbox. Uh, um, so I give, I give Ron all the credit for, for making him look as fantastic as he did. I can only think of three or four characters who can breathe underwater that are part of the X-Men franchise. Uh, so yeah. he's unique there too. He's got an, uh, a unique power set. Okay, so the opening line of your very first book, I don't know if you've read this in a long time. When's the last time you read uh, your hope arc? Oh, probably a year or two after I wrote it. Uh, so so the, this is your opening line on your first page of Uncanny X-Men. There's speech bubbles. The kids are bullying Sammy and they say, what happened to you, squid boy? How come you're so ugly? Your mama do it with a fish? Is that where you come from? Your mom climb into the fish tank and do the nasty with Mr. Bubbles? Oh, wow. <laughs> that, is, that is an indelible beginning, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hell of a way to start. Um, you know, sometimes I'm not even sure I'm actually writing these things. Sometimes it just feels like somebody's channeling through me. It's so weird. It sounds like, like bullies that are kids that are picking out a kid. I mean, I, it, it sounds oh, I, like <laughs> I was bullied. I know what it's like. I remember hearing not those words, but you know, insults to your mom. I mean, that's like, you know, that's the, that's the number one thing every kid goes for. It's like to make fun of you and make fun of your mom. So yeah. Yeah. It was like a very nineties, two thousands thing. I mean, it's still there yeah. now, but yeah, especially back then. Yeah. All the, all the mom jokes going around. Yeah. I think it's, thank God a lot of that stuff has changed. My son went through a, you know, I mean, in some ways we are improving as a society. So like kids don't get shoved in lockers anymore and, and bullying yeah. gets called out. So it's nice to see that some of that stuff has, has changed, but yeah, back then it was still pretty prevalent. Yeah, my children are not bullied. They're both queer, uh, but we've got them in a really safe school district and a loving, supportive home. And I, yeah, I was bullied a lot too. And I, I am just thrilled every time I look and see how the world is different for them than it was for me. It makes me uh, feel like a success as a father. I don't know. It's uh, you, and you should. That's awesome. I think that's fantastic. So the kids spit on Sammy, they push him in the mud, and he goes to school by himself. And I'm going to read a little bit of his dialogue here, right sure. as we're introduced to him. And this, these are his thoughts. He says, I'm a loser, a geek, a mutant, and not one of the good kind. 
The good kind have brain powers that can melt their enemies' skulls into jelly, set fire to their eyeballs. I don't have brain powers. I'm not even good at math. I'm just a turd. If I want, I can breathe underwater, but who wants to do that? What is there to do underwater except look at other things that remind me of how ugly I am? I don't want to breathe underwater. I, I want to not breathe underwater. I want to swim down to the bottom of the pool, lie on the back with my eyes open and not breathe. There's nowhere left to go, just the bottom of the pool, quiet, peaceful. The question is, how am I going to go to the bottom of the pool? Excuse me. The question is, if I'm going to the, go to the bottom of the pool alone. And we see he's got a gun that he's considering taking to school because he is feeling like he has no other choice. He's got a little hideout in the backyard. There's X-Men comics and posters of bikini babes on the wall. And uh, right then, before Sammy can do anything stupid is when Xavier's ship lands in the front yard. This is a powerful beginning. This is a character we can relate to. Yeah. Uh, tell, tell me about this intro. Uh, again, it was it was that attempt to show that people need hope. You know, they need that sense that they're going to find a place where they belong, where they can fit in, where they can feel like they're they have an, a, a way of contributing uh, uh, to to the world around them and being a part of society, uh, some kind of society. And that this is a kid who's given up on it. He's basically at that. He's like, he's right at the end of the diving board. And uh, when Xavier shows up and essentially I'm getting, I'm getting a little choked up talking about it, but you know, it's that moment that so many of us feel when life just kicks us in the teeth. So repeatedly, you feel like it's just never going to let up. Well, and for those of us that have been through those experiences, we probably have at least isolated encounters in our youth where people offered us hope. Yeah. I uh, I not only grew up gay and I had I had some pretty significant trauma in my childhood, including being sexually abused. But as a teen, I was physically abused as well. And I remember that sense of going to school every day, feeling like nobody could understand me, like no one could see me. Uh, I I had to suffer and do it alone. I like I, I've certainly been there. And you and I kind of briefly connected about that on our on our yeah. initial uh, podcast recording. The fact that we've both been through some shit. Yeah, yeah. And and a, a big part of it is that. Uh, particularly as our, as you're writing this stuff and having people read it is how many people have gone through that and understand it, you know, and feel the same way um, and recognize that they, they did need that moment when somebody stepped in, you know, and how many times has that happened during the course of our life, you get older and you get better capable of handling it, but you reach that point some in all the time where all of a sudden somebody steps in to give you a hand or hold out a hand to give you a, a leg up or, a, you know, like we and talked about Steve the last time, Steve, you know, he's one of those people. I was at the, at the sort of the end of my rope, wondering where I was going to get a job. And he stepped in and said, here, I'll, I'll teach you and I'll give you a job. So that stuff happens. And, uh, and it's, so it's important. I thought I just thought it was an important part of this, of the myth. I do, uh, I do therapy with people. And one of the things people have to process through is, yeah, I had people reach out to me, but it wasn't the people that were supposed to. My, my parents or whoever were supposed to be the ones right. watching out for me, and it wasn't them. I, uh, after I offer clients a lot of uh, compassion, which, uh, of course, is genuine and present, we generally reach a moment in therapy after a few sessions where I have to tell them, you are not unique. Every person I've ever met has childhood trauma, and it's what we do with it that makes us special. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. you know, using our powers and our history and our story for good motivation and not bad. Right. And uh, I think uh, the X-Men is full of trauma, obviously. But uh, this this story of uh, of Sammy, I mean, it's a very it's like a Harry Potter story. <laughs> he's the, he's the yeah. kid in the closet under the stairs and now he gets to right. go off to wizard school. It's yep. a, it's a it's a strong beginning. 
it's it's pretty special what what you represent uh for him is what the x-men are supposed to represent he is not safe in society no one's protecting yeah. him and they've got to do it now it turns out the school's not super safe either <laughs> right yeah <laughs> which another... I, you know that's another un- unfortunate lesson in life is that you get past one set of hurdles and then you you get yourself you feel like you got yourself out of it and then you start to encounter the new hurdles so Sam gets on the ship with the X-Men. They are immediately yeah. caught up in a big battle between Juggernaut and Black Tom. There's a whole bunch of history here, but Black, Tom, Black Tom's got like evil tree powers and he is fully insane now. And uh, I mean, spoilers for those that haven't read, Black Tom's the one that's going to end up killing Sammy, which we're going to talk about that in a little while. It's poignant for a couple of different reasons. But in in, in your second issue, Sammy's narrating again. He I'm going to read his narration box here again. He okay. says... Nothing ever goes like it's supposed to. Like at my age, I should be nervous about zits, my voice changing, maybe growing some chest hair. I never in a million years thought my nose would fall off, gills would grow, my fingers would web, and, well, other stuff I'd rather not talk about. (laughs) Unpleasant puberty reference. Uh, Then today, I never expected Xavier to show up. Why would I? I never expected him to ask me to come to his school. I never expected my parents to say yes. I never thought I'd be hanging out while the X-Men all got slaughtered and they're attacked, of course. I wondered, and you may not remember, there seemed to me to be subtext that Xavier was mentally influencing Sammy's parents to get them to let Sammy come to the school. Yeah. Was that intended on your part? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the idea that, I mean, you know, generally speaking, there's always going to be some reluctance about something like that. You know, any kid that's being offered an opportunity to leave his home for whatever reason, you know, even in a, in a difficult environment, you know, the parents are, are not just willing to kind of hand their children over so yeah there was there was definitely a subtext there that's a that's the harry potter story again the uh yeah the dursleys aren't kind to him but when dumbledore comes to get him they're like we're not letting him go yeah exactly (laughs) like force them to let him uh so uh, juggernaut gets knocked into the water you referenced this a minute ago sammy jumps in after him yeah and he forms this bond with Juggernaut. Uh, you you talked about this in our in our first interview, but uh, I would love just to recap here briefly. What is it about Juggernaut that you connected to to bring this character in as kind of your main feature across your X Men run? This uh, this villain that most people see as this insane kind of mass murdery guy. You saw something very symp- sympathetic about him. Uh, I did, but that you know some of that was me playing with what I thought was continuity at the time. You know, it's the J2 storyline where he eventually gets married to a lawyer and, and has a son of his own. Sure. Um, but so when I saw when I saw that storyline and, and connected it with, you know, sort of the, the mindless um, muscled guy from, you know, the, sort of the original series, um, I, it just, it gave me layers of depth that I really liked playing around with. And I really wanted to explore more, particularly because, I had, you know, as we talked about the last time I'd gone through some issues of my own and I just really liked that idea that you can break that cycle. You know, you can break out of that, um, that anger and, and, uh, the, um, uh, this, this sort of the, the, like, you know, Sammy's language that he uses to describe himself is so, um, uh, personally hostile it's so know? cruel yeah, yeah so cruel to himself and, and 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 that's because you wind up internalizing the things that other people wind up saying to you all the yeah, time i'm and broken so, i'm stupid i'm worthless right. yeah yeah so i imagine you know what if juggernaut was going through some of that same stuff and but he was he was ready for a change you know he had reached a point like sammy where he was ready to sort of 
let himself fall to the bottom of the ocean and stop breathing. I mean, it's, it's that parallel between Sammy talking about swimming to the bottom of the pool and Juggernaut is kind of letting himself go. It's like, he's reached that stage with Black Tom. Like we've done this before, we failed before. You know, I, I feel like a loser, a fool, an idiot. And he's just kind of letting himself go. I don't play out any of Juggernaut's dialogue because the, the implication for me was that you would in, in a sense be sort of refraining a lot of that stuff from Sammy earlier um and then sammy sammy's gone through his change and so he holds out his hand and offers it to juggernaut to help him now it's the time time for both of them to kind of head on their new journey so when you reread juggernaut's stuff before your run there's 40 years of continuity for him already most of his appearances are pretty sympathetic he's in, he's occasionally the super angry crazy guy yeah we, we can almost attribute that to sidorak the god like influencing him a little bit which but is where i went with it exactly and that's yeah. why he's changed he's actually lost the powers from sidorak and right right and he's allowed to be human again but there's a there's some element of uh almost all of his crimes are because people are in his way yeah. or because he's trying to do something nice for his boyfriend black Tom. Yeah. <laughs> and i know i know you didn't read their relationship as gay one of the really prominent moments, and we're not going to examine that relationship much today. I'll save that for another podcast. But in uh, in uh, Nicias's early X-Force run, uh, Black Tom gets nearly killed. And they have to do this like treatment that unlocks this like tree mutation in him, right? And it almost seems to be a metaphor for HIV or AIDS. Uh, oh, interesting. Jug Juggernaut for years afterward is trying to like help my partner. He's dying. Like I've got to do everything I can to save his life. They won't even let me go see him in the hospital. There's kind of an element here. And this is a point where in continuity, Black Tom has completely succumbed to the virus and the, the madness has taken over. And it's a, it's, it's an interesting metaphor. And some, some of it you have to read between the lines and it's not stated outright, but uh, yeah. there's, there's an element of uh, Black Tom, Black Tom has dumped his toxic, excuse me, Juggernaut has dumped his toxic ex now and is trying yeah. to do something new. And he forms this bond with Sammy. And one of the things I love about their dynamic is Sammy seems to slow Juggernaut down. You could do something different in life, but Juggernaut seems to teach Sammy that anger when it's appropriate is okay. Yeah. You have the right to stand up for yourself, to defend yourself, to be pissed because yeah. nobody's going to do it for you. You have to fight back. Yeah. Uh, so that's a lot of, th that's a lot of stuff, but I would love to hear your thoughts on those dynamics. Oh yeah. That's absolutely, that's a big part of it. I mean, you know, you're a therapist, you know, you, you have to go through that point where you realize that anger is important. You have to express it and you have to let it out. You just have to let it out in a more productive, constructive way. So, so Juggernaut does teach Sammy that stuff. But at the same time, Juggernaut is still learning it himself. You know, I mean, the whole yeah. uh, the whole episode with She-Hulk, where he goes around trashing the town, and she actually has to tell him, you know, you're a bigger problem here. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's that same kind of stuff. So so sometimes you can be the teacher and know what you're supposed to be doing, and but you still fall back into old patterns. So that's I loved playing with that aspect of it. Um, the fact that you know you you two steps forward, one step back, you, you're, you're, you're learning, you know, you're, you're supposed to move in one direction. And, and the whole idea was that, um, you know, in a lot of ways, I guess you can look at it. It's, it's the same thing that you, that I look at when I see a, a romantic comedy, you're looking for sort of the dance between two characters that has them both learning from each other. So that was the, absolutely the goal between the two of them. And, and in, well, and Sammy has a mentor who cares about him, who listens yeah. to him, who makes him yep. feel safe. You matter to me. It's such a huge difference. Yeah. I, uh, 
and when I say things like what I'm about to say, I feel like a real nerd, but I've recorded a four hour episode on Juggernaut with a group of about seven people. And we an analyze this character from every direction. <laughs> and then I did one of these Patreon episodes on Sidorak that was two and a half hours long, just talking about wow. the angry God syndrome. I feel wow. like I delved really deep into this character and I love him. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I love him too. I mean, I think he's great. I think he's very worth loving, honestly. Hitting uh, this from the Sammy angle, but God Sidorak is not an easy entity to understand. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you the link to that if you want a long listen sometime. Hassan Rashid and I delve deep. It's, it's a lot of fun. Sure, um, yeah. Next story I want to hit, you wrote a story in uh, X-Men Unlimited number 44. And this is where Sammy, Sammy looks so much more like a Muppet here. He yeah. seems to be happy. It's one of his earliest appearances. He's floating around in the water. He's playing with the fish. Everything is fine. But he comes up to the shore and there's a bunch of fish that have been brutally stomped to death. And Juggernaut's like, oh, they're just fish. What, what a big deal. But the X-Men start finding other animals in the area that have been tortured and killed. And they find that there's some local kids who have been doing this. And I'm going to kind of sum this up very quickly, but... The story ends with them kind of finding these kids. Kane's kind of defending. He's like, they're just kids. They're boys. They're torturing animals. What's the big deal? And Gene savagely makes the kids and Juggernaut feel the pain of what the animals who are dying have gone through. Uh, tell me a little bit about this story. It's a it's a gut punch. <laughs> yeah, it was it was intended to be a gut punch. Basically, um, the, it was it was in conjunction with. Um, Doris Day's animal rights activism program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I've got a, she sent me an autographed picture uh, as a thank you for that. I got it around here somewhere. Um, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. She's got, actually, well, you want to see it? I would love to see it. I love Doris Day. I love me some old, uh, uh, like classic 50s, 60s, 70s movies or some of my favorite things. Let me see. Let me turn the light off, and that'll probably help. I love that. And when we're done, Chuck, if I have permission, I would love to post an image of that. If you'll send me a photo, I think that's yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, I, I loved her. She was wonderful. I really wish I had had the chance to meet her, but uh, um, but I got the, it's a, it says, uh, dear Chuck, thank you for making Can They Suffer such a powerful story. Uh, and then there's more, but uh, but basically, um, it was done in conjunction with them, and we were talking about. Um, the fact that, you know, uh, a lot of times these sort of uh, uh, attempts to show um, uh, how it's bad and to, to abuse animals, um, they tend to wind up going preachy and people don't really remember much about them. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's almost like it's, most people feel like it's kind of been a waste of their time. It's like, okay, I, you know, I get it. You don't, be, don't be mean to animals. That's all fine. So I told them that I specifically wanted to do something that was much more um potent and uh, we went through it and talked about it i said i wanted to start with that uh, famous quote um about do they suffer and uh um so we had you know we had a, a i had a long talk with them about uh how we should approach it what would be the best way to do it and i said this is what i want to do and i said is that too intense for you guys and they said no actually we really like it a lot so um so i wrote that story and was very happy with it i thought it turned out I thought the artwork turned out really great, but yeah, yeah. the idea was to start off with Sammy um, in a place where he's identifying more with the animals in a way than he is with people still. Uh, so, um, and then it kind of evolves from there, but yeah, that one, the, I got, I won the Humanitas award. No, not the Humanitas. I'm sorry. I won the uh, Genesis award for that. 
Oh, that's amazing. Uh, so yeah, I can, sh I'll send you a copy, a picture. Of that there is, there's more to that story that I realized. I am a huge animal rights activist. I teach my children all about conservation. Uh, the artist on that was uh, Romano Molinar. Yeah. Who I do not know much about, but it, it really is very pretty. I, um, I, the, the, the metaphor for Sammy here as well is just as he starts to feel safe, someone's attacking the innocent uh, around yeah. him, which is another reminder of this kind of metaphor. Uh, and the idea that animals feel pain is a very real thing. I'm a vegetarian for a reason. And we, yeah. uh, I, I teach my children all about, you know, ethically sourced eggs and milk and we avoid meat and the whole thing. So this, this story really spoke to me later during the trial of juggernaut with the She-Hulk story. Uh, there's another juggernaut that Sidorak has, uh has brought in and it's a kid and i wondered yeah. if that juggernaut was supposed to be this same one of the same kids that was torturing the animals to death uh, it is I, supposed to be that kid okay that same kid yeah yeah it was never stated directly but i kind of read between the lines uh so it was that same child who is just turning straight evil that are giving into his rage yeah yeah and it's again it's that you know the angry child inside the man story you know that and that's huh. what resonates with juggernaut at the end so Mr. Austin, I respect you more and more than what we thought. This is phenomenal. <laughs> what, what cool through lines. Uh, this is really neat. Uh, okay, after that, the uh, the riot of Exa at Xavier's takes place. This is the famous uh, Quentin Quire story over in New X-Men where the students revolt. It's now Uncanny X-Men 422. And you've tied that story in. And Sammy's parents have said, well, our kid is clearly not safe there. So they send Alpha Flight down. And Alpha Flight tries to take all of the kids away from the school and the X-Men fight back, but they ultimately have no legal right to keep Sammy and he has to go back home. Yeah. Uh, tell me your memories of that story. This is the infamous, by the way, Juggernaut and uh, Sammy are playing catch and raiding all of the hot chicks around the school. <laughs> <laughs> and Sammy's like, dude, that reverse bra that Emma Frost wears. Man. <laughs> yeah. Um that was my attempt to do something that was absolutely not politically correct because that's what little boy, young boys, young, you know, hormonal boys will do when they're talking. And I, and I wanted to show juggernaut, you know, maybe for the first time in Sammy's life, um, being supportive of Sammy's, you know, Sammy's comments and his point of view. So that clubs would have shut that conversation down. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, um, and yeah, and the, and the, the, this, you know, again, this is the part of the evolution on, I mean, if you want to kind of look at it as, as the hero's journey, um, this is that sort of uh, end of the third act or end of the second act or going into the third act where, you know, uh, all hell breaks loose and Juggernaut loses his friend. Um, he loses and, and his sort of tiny mentor, his tiny uh, 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 voice of reason. Um, this kid that he's finally gotten close to it and he starts to realize how, how important he is. And not only that, but how I think he says in there to Xavier, you don't know what the hell you sent him back to. Um, and, uh, so, and, and, you know, part of that was a conversation with my father-in-law, who's a lawyer, um, who is, uh, is he's actually Jack White. Um, the, the lawyer in that's in the, the, uh, series is based on my father and my former father. Okay. Okay. Um, but we would have, we had conversations about, well, what would happen if, if one of the children were endangered and, and he kind of explained to me how it would happen legally. And I thought, actually, that makes a pretty cool story. So, um, so that's where we kind of went with it. Well, and it's such a, it's such a morally complex issue because Sammy is unsafe at the school, but also yeah. he's more unsafe at home. And 
there's just no legal right to keep him unless Xavier, you know, wipes their minds or whatever. There's very That's much the element here too, that this kid was not very important to Xavier. Like that, that seems uh, apparent to me. He's important to Juggernaut. He's not important to Xavier is, is kind of the vibe that I get. Uh, that wasn't intended to, uh, that I, I do want Xavier to be empathetic. Um, I think you were the one who first pointed out to me that I didn't really even notice that sometimes Xavier has his preferences for the pretty humans, as opposed yeah. to, uh, in, uh, pretty mutants as opposed to the, the uglier ones. Um, but uh, it was supposed to be that Xavier, as much as Xavier is out there fighting for the rights of, of the X-Men, he still tends to follow the law and follow the rules. And so he's not going to uh, fight against this in the same way that Juggernaut is talking about, which is basically, I'll go tear this guy's house down if, if I have to. So I was just trying to show the difference between the two of them in their approaches. Like, like Xavier is going to work through the lawyer, through Jack White, see what he can do on that side. And Juggernaut is just going to go and start tearing shit apart to get what he wants. Yeah. So. Have you ever seen the X-Men uh, animated series from the 90s? Oh uh, yeah, actually, some, uh, the you, the Leewalds are friends of mine. I think we've talked about that. Before. Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. The yeah. uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, Christmas episode is where <laughs> they go down to the Morlock tunnels because the Morlocks are being attacked, and they save the Morlocks, and then they throw a Christ Christmas celebration for the Morlocks in the sewer. They don't bring them back to the mansion. They're like, <laughs> let's stay down here in the sewer. We'll bring you some food, and you can stay here because you stink. It's not staying oh, out right, but the the X Men are always. I mean, Storm gets the leadership of the Morlocks and is like, "Here, stay in the sewers. We're gonna go back to the school in our mansion, and we'll see you next time we visit the sewer." Oh, that's <laughs> funny. That's really funny. Uh, did you ask the? Uh, the so I think I, so. Uh, Day Spring has interviewed the Leewalds a few times. I've actually never met them. Oh, you haven't met. Them. I think okay. they're phenomenal, though. I, yeah, I, yeah. I think they're incredible people. Oh, they are. They're wonderful. I like them a lot. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll, uh, I'll hopefully interview them someday. Yeah. Uh, well, ask Dayspring if he's ever asked him about that, because I'd be curious to know myself. Um, that's funny. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, unintended subtext. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Sammy's gone for a minute. We go to Uncanny X-Men 430 through 433, and this is where we get back to Sammy. And it is so violent. Uh, his, his, da his dad, who I think his name is Claude, is just beating the shit out of him. And he turns his fury on his wife, who's not really doing anything to defend Sammy, except kind of saying like, hey, he's just a kid. But Sammy's, I mean, it's like, it's not mild abuse. He's getting like punched in the face. He's got black eyes and bloody everything. And uh, he goes back out in the streets and the local bullies start to beat him up. Oh, oh, I forgot. Before Sammy leaves the school, Juggernaut gives Sammy his helmet and says, it's okay to fight back. Don't forget. Uh, which is which is great. So as soon as the bullies, Sammy can't fight back against his dad, but when the bullies start to beat up on him, he does fight back and he just wails on Tommy, who's like the lead bully. Well, they they say, where you been, Sammy? And Sammy says, doing it with your mom. <laughs> <laughs> he, he fights back and, and as he's beating the shit out of this bully, which is very like uh, the Christmas story when Ralphie yes. finally turns on the bully. He yes, says, exactly. I don't stop for nothing, kid. I'm the juggernaut. Sammy, yeah. uh, Sammy's channeling his anger here. Tell me, tell me about this scene. It's, it's, a, it's hard to read in yeah. a good way. Like, it's just so violent. Yeah, it, it was really intense. And again, it was that um, you're trying to sort of build up and show that Sammy has grown at the same time that he's still figuring it out and still learning. He's, it's like I, the, this, it's like the first time that I sort of learned that you it's okay to be angry, but you don't really have a full grasp of it. And so you, the anger comes out in ways that you didn't intend it to, or didn't mean it to, you haven't learned to channel it 
uh, positively as opposed to uh, yeah. just rage. So uh, that takes a while to, to sort of integrate. You learn that it's okay to let the anger out, but then it comes out in, in sometimes the most horrific way. So that was that, that was what this moment was, is that he's, he's learned that it's okay, uh, that he needs to let those feelings out. He needs to feel them and not stuff them and not let himself get picked on. But he hasn't learned exactly the best way to uh, channel the anger. So he starts wailing on this kid. So yeah, it becomes, the, it's, the exa it's exactly that Christmas story moment, you know? When I was 16, uh, a kid in my school found out that I was getting abused and told the school counselor. Mm -hmm. And the school counselor pulled me out of gym class. And he said, I hear you're, I hear there's things aren't great at home. And my first words, this is my first time ever in a therapy session. My first words were, yeah, you know, my stepdad hits me sometimes, but it's not his fault. Literally the first words out of my mouth. Yeah. Within, within three or four therapy sessions, I was realizing, oh, it's absolutely his fault. Yeah. Uh, he got out of my home after a really violent episode. We got restraining orders. And then it was a couple of years of therapy. And then therapy turned into, okay, it was never my mom's fault either, but also I was the kid and she was the adult. So then there was more yeah. therapy to do. I don't, I don't know if that matches your experience at all, but uh, it's this, absolutely. this issue really spoke to me. It reminded me of my teenage years. Yeah, it's that Bradshaw dynamic, you know, the, the he used to talk about the, the mobile that you you adjust one thing and, and everything else goes out of balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, and that's the you know, that's the mom thing. I'll never forget my mom used to complain about, you know, my dad's temper and about some of the things that he would say and do. And the fact that, you know, the first thing that we knew when we crossed the line was that belt coming out of the belt loops, you know, um, and uh, and she would talk about those things with us and we would sort of work through the idea that, yeah, that was really unpleasant or uncomfortable. And then at one point I had started therapy and I was having a conversation with her about it. And her and my grandmother both turned on me and said, your father was a good man. And I just remember that moment being, it's that, it's that moment with the mother where, um, where she's, she, she doesn't want the anger turned on herself. And at the same time, she's a bit of a, you know, a, a Stockholm uh, syndrome situation herself. So um, it's, it's like trying to sort of sort that stuff out uh, uh, and, and kind of coming against those walls. Like some, not everybody learns at the same pace. Not, a, not everybody comes to the understanding that they feel the same way about it that you did. Um, and so that's, that's part of what I was trying to show with that Sammy situation is that, you know, these, these situations are complex. Maybe it's way too complex for, for a, a, a kid's comic book, but <laughs> it's not the X-Men is full of these stories. I mean, I mean, my God, have you read God loves man kills by Chris Claremont? Good oh my Lord. God. Yeah. That's an old friend of mine. I've it read opens with, it opens with the murder of two black children. <laughs> like, yeah, like these, these, these themes are explored. Um, uh, Juggernaut, so much of his history has been him being cast aside. Yeah. Uh, he's buried in cement. He, I mean, his initial appearance, we learn he's been buried under this temple that collapsed on him and Xavier leaves him there for decades. Yeah. Uh, he's tossed into another dimension. He's, he's shot into space, you know, whatever they, just, and he's yeah. not going to leave Sammy behind. He shows up at the door, ignoring the restraining order, sees the bruises all over Sammy and Sammy's dad. The first thing he says, Oh, the, the kid fell down and juggernaut just punches him through the fucking wall. Yeah. Mom calls alpha flight. They show up and their home is destroyed. And Juggernaut was the instigator, so he's arrested, even though he's trying to protect this kid. But it's a couple issues later in the trial of Juggernaut. This is where the 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 animal murdering kid turns into another Juggernaut for a minute. Yeah. But Sammy's mom shows up and she gives testimony for uh, in favor of Juggernaut. And I'm going to read her speech here. She says, 
I reported my husband numerous times for violence against me, against Sammy. Nothing ever happened. They kept telling us to work it out. The last time a police officer even told me I needed to honor my husband and help get and help get him help. I asked, but what about help for me? He said, honor your husband and left me with him. We had no one. That's, a, that's based on a true dialogue, by the way. Let me finish the speech and then I want to hear about that. She yeah. said, we had no one on our side, not until the juggernaut man came and stopped my husband. And before you ask, yes, I was, yes, I was afraid of juggernaut when he destroyed our house. But his feelings for Sammy are evident. And as afraid as I am of that man, I'm more afraid you'll lock him up and send Sammy and be back to my husband with no one to protect us. Let me hear about that. That's that's a that's a wonderful, poignant speech. Uh, that was based on a conversation with a friend of mine that I'm, I'm not going to reveal who it is, but of course, um, but almost verbatim. In fact, when I heard it, I got chills because I remembered that conversation. Um, I got her permission to to use that um, that information as long as I didn't tell anybody where it came from. Um, but that was um, that was that was exactly what happened. You know, she was in that situation and they told her to work it out. She went to the cops and they told her, you know, it's your husband. You got to, you guys had to, you got to. And one of the other things that I didn't put in there was that she was told, you you know, just forgive him, forgive him. Um, so there was, uh, it, it was, it, it, and, and as I was talking to her and talking to other people, I found that it was a really common thing that happened, yeah, yeah. particularly in, in that time. I don't know if it's if it's still quite as bad, but it still happens, I think, particularly in rural or actively religious communities. I live in Utah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't grow up here. My mom, I grew up in Missouri, but I, I remember my mom going to help to legal and church authorities and often being told, you know, what did you do to provoke this? Maybe that's yeah. what you should work on, you know, that type yeah. of thing. True. J.D. Vance actually was, I mean, they outed him for him saying basically that too many people get divorced because, you know, they, 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 they get into arguments with their husband or wife and the women should stay. They should learn to stay. So, yeah, I guess it is still, it's way too common. It's, it's, it's the old archaic uh, marriage values, frankly. It's the, yeah. you know, for better, for worse, which it implies, that, yes, he can, you know, beat the shit out of you or, cheat on you or commit crimes but you're supposed to stay and hold it like divorce the scene as a moral failing somehow it's yeah. uh, it's point you don't often see this acknowledged in comics but it's it's a it's a part of juggernaut's story too and frankly xavier's because yeah. they were both the victims of kurt marco the 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 stepfather yeah and if you want to get into sort of the subtext the unintended subtext you know the fact that he was buried under concrete and xavier left in there there's a, a stuff like that happens with the angry child yeah. You know, where that angry child gets isolated and put off because nobody wants to deal with them because the, the it's so difficult. Um, and sometimes they I mean, there was even a movie, I think, called Tough Love years ago where the family had gone through everything trying to figure out the angry child. And they finally the only way they could deal with them was to shun them and, and lock them out of the house and get, and keep them away from them. So so there's a lot of people that do that. You know, the fact that, you know, it, it's just a in, in a way, it's a kind of a metaphor but juggernaut being locked in a concrete block at the bottom of the ocean, you know, that's kind of what people do with those family members that they don't know how to handle or cope with. Anthony Oliveira is the one in my long juggernaut episode. He's the one that pointed out to me, his name is Cain Marco. It's the Mark yeah. of Cain. It's the Cain and Abel story. And he was, he was the brother that was, I'm like, Oh my God, like, how did I never see that? <laughs> that's literally his name. Yeah. Uh, I totally and, wrecked it by redeeming him. <laughs> and so Sammy is sent back. He's safe. There's also the implication that uh, Sammy and his mom asked Xavier for help and he ignored them. He felt like he couldn't do anything or it wasn't important enough. 
uh, never intended yeah. to be not important enough, but he, he did the, you know, the, it's like, and that's, that's the, my law. hands are tied. I can't do anything kind of thing. And that's, again, that's a, that's such a big part of it. There are so many people that want to help that want to do something. And sometimes the best, sometimes even, you know, um, the, 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 this, this woman that told me this story, she had gone to stay with friends and the cops actually came to get her, to bring her home yeah, yeah. Uh, to her husband. So, you know, there are, uh, there are just times when, when, uh, you just can't, you know, you just can't get away from it. And, uh, uh, so Sammy's got kind of a happy ending here. His mom goes to the school with him and then you changed titles. I didn't get to ask you about this last time. You went from uncanny X-Men and then they moved you over to the X-Men book after Morrison left. You're back in like the one fifties range of the main X-Men title. Do you remember why you changed over? I think it was if I remember correctly, it was because Grant left unexpectedly and they just needed somebody to kind of fill in. They just uh, moved some shuffle things around a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like you got a chance to tie up some of your stories, uh, which which was good, I think. So in, uh, in X-Men 158 or sorry, 157 through 162, we get the conclusion of the Sammy story. You get to wrap up this juggernaut story. Sammy is well-adjusted. He's happy. Uh, we get a new kind of point of view character. Icarus or Jay Guthrie shows up, the winged guy. And Sammy is the one that's like, hey, let me show you around the school. I'll be your roommate. This place is great. Look how hot the girls are. Emma Frost, man, we'll look at her. Uh, he he like goes out of his way to make this kid feel at home. He's like, the school is amazing. He's more in the mentor role, uh, yeah. which is such a shift for him. He's thriving. Uh, uh, yeah. You want to speak to that before we get back to Black Tom? Yeah, I mean, it was. it's kind of what... Uh, what it seems to me would be, I guess, sort of the natural progression uh, of, of how you do serialized stuff that eventually your viewpoint character evolves beyond the point of being a viewpoint character. So you need another viewpoint character for new readers. Uh, it's, uh, you know, like, I think Jim Shooter was the one who had the edict that you had to, you had to explain the, the, the character's history and origin story in every issue so that new readers could jump on board. Um, and, and sometimes the, the, the more elegant way to do that is with a viewpoint character. So, so that was the idea that's, you know, Sammy is not only, he's no longer a viewpoint character. Now he is part of the X-Men continuity. So we'd need another viewpoint character to bring in. Uh, it was also heading towards that uh, punctuated equilibrium thing that we talked about the last time where um, another, another angel character was going to come into the fold. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and things did not well end well for him either, by the way. <laughs> they did not. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, he got, I, he got his wings chopped off and then like the whole, like all the students were slaughtered basically. Like it, it was, it was a rough story that happened a few years later. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. You know, you get to that point where they got too many X-Men characters. So they just have a mass slaughter. That's just sort of how it is. Yeah. The Scarlet Witch, this is, this is a few years later, 2006, the Scarlet Witch casts a spell that takes away all the powers of like 90 eight percent of the world's mutants it leaves only like 200 mutants and the x-men are now like an endangered species and wow. a lot of the characters were just wholesale slaughtered they uh they wanted to make it unique again right and it's it's a gut yeah. story and that's where that's where icarus gets uh, it's it's a rough story i'll, I'll let you read it sometime yeah <laughs> i'll do an icarus yeah. episode another time uh yeah. sammy notices kind of a mysterious tree that kids seem to be talking to and he's pretty worried it's black tom so he starts going to the leaders in the school Nobody's listening to him. He takes Juggernaut out, but the, the tree doesn't talk. And then he has his last conversation with his mom in X-Men 161. She says to Sammy, I think I might want to start dating Juggernaut. You think that'd be cool? He's kind of hot. And he's like, mom, gross, and walks away. And she's like, Samuel Luke Pear, we learn his middle name. And uh, she calls him a stupid kid as he kind of storms off into the woods. 
and uh, then he finds Juggernaut. Now it turns out Juggernaut is uh, it is uh, pretending to work with Black Tom's Brotherhood of Mutants uh, as a ruse to try to lure them in. But Sammy doesn't know that. He thinks Juggernaut's turned evil again. Uh, and we get characters like Exodus, uh, Sabretooth, uh, Mamamax. We talked about Mamamax last time. <laughs> uh, there, there's a pretty savage team. Uh, Nocturne is part of it. And uh, Sammy witnesses Juggernaut. Think like, well, it, again, it's a ruse, but he thinks Juggernaut has beat Nocturne to death. And he reveals himself in front of all these villain, villains. He's crying his eyes out. He says, Juggernaut, you're a pig. You're a stinking pile of garbage. I can't believe I was ever brought into your act. What an idiot I was. You must have been laughing yourself sick. He spits on Black Tom. He says, Juggernaut, you disgust me. I always thought I wondered if I might be like you. I'm a bad guy, someone who could hurt others and like it, feel good about it. Well, I'm not. I'm a good guy, someone who really believes in Xavier's dream. I'm a hero. I'm an X-Man and you're not getting past me. And then that infamous scene and it's done in shadow and it's beautifully done by Salvador Laraca. But God, it's a hard couple of pages because this is a child. Uh, Black Tom wraps vines around Sammy and breaks his bones and then breaks his back and it's sound effects. And as he's laying dying, Juggernaut is sobbing and Sammy says, don't touch me. I hate you. Leave me alone. Uh, I don't want you touching me. And then he dies and Juggernaut now has motivation to just beat the fuck out of the Brotherhood. Uh, he He's savage. And again, this is Sabretooth, Exodus, Black Tom. It's some of the X-Men's worst foes of all time. Uh, tell me about this infamous story, my friend. This is a rough one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was is the point that you that was that we were leading up to the whole time to get Juggernaut um, to cross that line and to become a hero, obviously. But um, you know, it you always try to up the stakes as much as possible and make it as intense as possible and show that his transformation is as complete as possible. So you bring in the toughest and the the the, the meanest and the worst villains for him to deal with. If I could have brought in Magneto to to kill, I would have brought Magneto in too, but um so so you you know it's and I'm, I'm talking about it just from a story point of view because i it, just hearing it again is getting me all emotional <laughs> about sammy and juggernaut um because you know i mean especially i mean you'll know this now you got kids that stuff it, it's much oh my god i can't now. i can't go there in my mind i can't <laughs> yeah. yeah you can't i uh, it's just it's a horrific thing to even think about so um so uh so and that's essentially what i was doing is i was basically you know, getting rid of Juggernaut's kid and uh, and having it impacting in that kind of a way. So I, uh, I wrote a comic book called The Mushroom Murders a few years back, and I developed this cast of characters that I love so much, and I literally slaughtered them all in the final issue. Oh, <laughs> Not man. the same, but I know I know what it's like on that level to write that level of tragedy. You're like, oh my god, I'll miss it's, you goodbye. It's hard. It's really hard. You know, I mean, you you wind up really liking these characters, and you don't want to do it. Um, but you you know, and and there's also that. And this is where I started actually at this point is when I started questioning in some ways what the difference was between writing for fans as opposed to writing for a general audience. And um, and we weren't bringing in new readers like we thought we were going to. So most of the readers were still either fans or people who had been fans that had come back to the book. So you know that if you do something like this, it's going to really upset people. I mean, killing off characters is not. Well, and I mean, a child uh, to see a child. a child murdered on the page in this brutal way is, is yeah. shocking. Yeah, it's fiction, uh, obviously, but it's shocking. It's it, and it was shocking for us to do. I mean, they, we they, after even after it was done and, and came in house, you know, I remember Mike and I talking about it, and they were both Mikes were were totally on board. I mean, they but they but at the same time they were like, shit, man, this is this is rough. 
When you say both oh. mics, which mics are we talking about? <laughs> oh, Mike Mart, Mike Martz, and Mike Rage. Okay, two, sure, sure. My, okay. my two X X Men editors. Uh, we talked about rabid X Men fans a little bit, but I imagine there were some fan reactions to this scene. Um, not as many as you would think, um, because uh, oh, there was so much hatred for Sammy and for me and for for Annie. I think a lot of people wanted to see them dead, or or at least. The people who were the most vocal at that point were people who were like, thank God they got rid of the fish boy. You know, it was like, so, so it was a different kind of response, which always throws me when I, when I read, you know, I think about X-Men being about tolerance and understanding and, and uh, sometimes there's just a lot of intolerance because people want their, their favorite characters. They don't want to read about new viewpoint characters. So I, uh, we, we've had a lot of really positive reaction to you and I's conversation about rabid fandom. I think it opened some people's eyes to like, oh, wow, writers and creators are real people who have real emotional reactions to things. Oh, sure. uh, you did get Sammy and Carter out, or excuse me, Annie and Carter out alive. In the same storyline, they uh, they made it out safely, and and Squidboy did not make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he was never meant to get out alive, so I, you know, at least I feel it was just I, it it just got harder for me, you know, because it's it's one thing to say, okay, we want to set up this arc where Juggernaut becomes a good guy by the end, and that's because he loses this kid that he becomes really close to. It's you know, at that point, it's it's all sort of vague and intellectual. It's there's no emotional stuff to it. But then after you've written a scene like not only the baseball, the, the, the playing catch scene where they're talking about the X, the reverse X bra, but there, there's also the scene where the, that you talked about where he's, he's given tours to the kids and yeah, he's yeah. so happy to be back at the, at the mansion. You start writing that stuff and he starts, he's get, he's got friends. You start to imagine this like active, wonderful little life for him. And it just gets harder and harder to follow through on what your original goal was. But now, Sammy has shown up in the Wolverine and the X-Men cartoon. Oh, it might have been X-Men Evolution. He's only in a couple episodes, if I'm remembering, but he's one of the student body in the cartoon form. Uh, the, only other, the only other time I've ever known him to show up is in X-Men Unlimited Volume 2, number four. Uh, Lee Garbett shows like a flashback of Juggernaut joining the X-Men, and he has kind of like a fatherly relationship with Sammy. He's like, go do your homework, kid. It's just like <laughs> showed up for a minute. And that's uh, that's the last time we've ever seen him. Yeah. See, that's what I mean. I don't know that he connected with that many people to, to the point where anybody was really all that upset when he was gone. But uh, you made people wrong. You made people care about Juggernaut. And this is an indelible part of the Juggernaut story. So I think a lot more people care about Squid Boy than you think. And I think there's been I think I told you last time on Krakoa, where the X-Men live now, they can bring people back from the dead. Oh, yeah. They haven't done it with Sammy yet. And I think a lot of people are waiting. There's a lot of mutants who've been killed they're not really given much story, but you see them like in the background. They're uh, they're sitting at the back of the room and you know they've been brought back, but we haven't yeah. seen Sammy back yet and I'm waiting for it. There's also the aspect that sometimes there are, sometimes people do recognize the importance of the character for the story. It's like for the longest time, they were never going to bring Bucky Barnes back because the whole point was that Bucky sacrificed himself so that Cap could live and come into the future. Uh, so Chuck, as we're wrapping up, what's it been like for you to revisit uh, Sammy the Squid Boy? <laughs> Um, it's been, actually, it's been really interesting. Cause I, you know, you're making me think about, um, I, you know, I, I forget how much of the sort of the emotional thought I put into those stories and that there was a reason for the things that I was doing and may not have seemed like it at the time, but to look back on it, I'm actually, um, I'm actually, I'm actually feeling 
in some ways, I, you know, it's nice that the fans are uh, reevaluating my work, but in some ways I'm reevaluating my own work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Revisiting something 20 years later, has got to always yeah. be a trip. I, I have the, uh, a kind of a nice healing energy and I get this in therapy sometimes when I'm talking to people about their trauma and we're kind of making sense of it and we're trying to find peace with it. And there's, I'm getting that kind of energy in myself as we're talking about this and I'm reflecting on my own journey a little bit. It's unforgivable uh, when abuse takes place, but you can heal from it. You can move past it. Uh, Juggernaut, I don't know if you followed him afterward. Chris Claremont actually took Juggernaut into his run on uh, the, the book New Excalibur and oh. made, him, made him one of the heroes there for a while. And then Frank Thierry took it over and Juggernaut went back to Sidorak and went on like another spiral of crime. And oh, then eventually really? he he left Sidorak again and became a hero. Now he's living on Krakoa with the X-Men. He's a good guy again. But he's he's been on a he's been on a long journey. Uh he and he and Black Tom are friends again. Black Tom's part of X-Force now. Like they're uh, they've come oh, around. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. A lot's happened. Um, there's one more element I wanted to examine quickly. Uh, when you look at the Black Tom Juggernaut relationship, uh, Juggernaut, when he moved to the X-Men, effectively kind of dumped Black Tom. And now Black Tom's like, fuck you, you dump me, I'll kill this kid. <laughs> and it's a really, yes. that element of the story, like, oof, geez, that's not a good guy. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, but it was also, it was, it was also that, you know, he didn't want the kid revealing the plans that, you know, what they were going to do. So, right. Um, and he had, he had gone over into that crazy realm. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that's the thing about, you know, series that run for 60 years is that, you know, nothing, it's like the, the old soap operas where, uh, I mean, I was an all my children fan for a really long time because my mom loved that show growing up. And so Eric Kane's journey in and out of evildom all the time. And her, uh, her uh, I don't know, Susan Lucci's 17 marriages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 17 marriages, all the kids. You know, sometimes she would do like there was the, you know, I, I remember her first marriage. She was lying about not being able to get pregnant, that she was secretly taking the pill so that she, and, and all of the audience hated her so much for what she was doing. Um, and then it was a couple of years later that she's falling in love with somebody else and everybody loved her. So, you know, that's just that's the nature of the business. I think I saw every episode of All My Children and One Life to Live between the ages of 12 and 17 because I had five sisters. And they'd oh, recorded wow. on VHS. And when we got home from school, that's all that we only want TV and that's what they'd watch. Yeah. I have, but I haven't seen it in like 27 years now or however. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't either. Uh, I stopped watching it in college, but that was, yeah, that was a big part of my youth. I have to say, but you know, same thing. I had two sisters and a, and a mother and a grandmother, all of us living together. So. When you watch what's on the TV, when there's a TV on, um, right. <laughs> what an honor to, uh, to visit this character with the person who created him. I, uh, I respect you so much, my friend. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I'm going to think about this character differently forever. I want him back. I want to see stories with him. I want him to be happy again. Now that there's potential, uh, juggernauts on the Island. I want to see them reunited. Uh, what, a, what a special character and what a special time it's been to revisit this with you. Thank you for your time this evening. Oh, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure chatting uh wonderful to see you my friend uh we're gonna drop this uh next sunday so just a few days out uh anything you want to plug or talk about or uh or anything new that's coming on in your life right now um i don't think so i mean edgeworld is is out in trade now uh and pat and i you know would obviously love to do more so you know if people buy copies that will help us <laughs> and edgeworld, edgeworld is a lot of fun Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. No, the reaction has been fantastic. I've even my, I've got friends who are texting me that 
have always been very polite about my work and always been really nice, but they're like gushing about Edgeworld. So uh, I feel like I, I, I feel like we did something right with that one. Um, and then I've, you know, there's a couple other projects that I'm working on, but I can't talk about them because they're not out yet. So. Good old NDAs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, on the Patreon, the episode after this, uh, I'm going to be, unless the schedule shifts, once in a while that happens, but I'm going to be working with uh, with Bradley Clayton on the character Tommy. Uh, the characters Tommy and Cybele, the Morlocks that were slaughtered at the beginning of the uh, oh. Morlock Massacre. If you, do you remember Tommy, the girl with the rainbow hair that's like so horribly killed by Scalp Hunter? It's uh... a... <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't remember the murder, but I remember the character. Yeah. 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 And Cybele's the other one. The uh, the girl who like spits acid. We're going to talk about those two and their kind of imprint. They're they're kind of queer coded characters who uh, with the with the Morlocks. Anyway, they'll be it's it's going to be another. We're, we're covering a lot of tragedy on this. On this <laughs> well, so Mr. Austin, sad. thank you so much for your time. Have a uh, lovely evening. Um, we'll see you guys all back here next time.